Well, I am honored to be here today. Today, I get the privilege of wrapping up our summer series that we've been on together entitled Kingdom Culture. Uh, and if you've got your Bibles, you can look with me in Mark chapter 1, or you can follow along on the screen, or you can use the Liberty Church app, however you, long, long, uh, however you like uh, to look at scriptures. But Mark chapter 1, the Bible says this. It says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It wasn't just a gospel of salvation. It was the gospel of the kingdom. It wasn't just the gospel of get out of hell card free. It was the gospel of the kingdom. And so we begin to recognize Jesus came preaching and teaching a kingdom, a place where God's dominion and God's domain is, a place where God rules and a place where God reigns. And that's the kingdom of God. And Jesus came preaching the kingdom, and I love what the Bible says. He said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe in the gospel. Amen? So we've been answering or asking this question for the last six weeks. We said, what is a kingdom culture? And we said a kingdom culture is a culture that is defined by the kingdom of God. It's a culture that says we are who God says we are. How many of y'all believe that today? You are who God says you are. You have what God says you have, and you can do what God says you can do. That's the kingdom culture. It's a culture that is defined by the kingdom of God. It's a culture that says, I am the person God says I am. I'm not who I feel. I'm not even who I think. I am who he says. Because God's kingdom, come on, is a kingdom of power and authority. It's a place where God rules and God reigns. And if I'm living under the lordship of Jesus, then God's word has to trump my life. Amen? And so all of a sudden we begin to recognize that we've been called into this kingdom. And then, then we begin to talk about kind of four expressions of the kingdom of God. We said there are four expressions of the kingdom and, and that God's kingdom is internal. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. And we recognize that all of a sudden the kingdom of God went from being out here. It went from being external reign and rules to internal reign and rule. Now the Holy Spirit reigns and rules within us. How many know that when you get born again and you receive the Holy Spirit, that you don't need a, a, a written commandment on the wall that says do not do that? Right? You've got an inner witness of the Holy Spirit. It's called the conviction of God. And all of a sudden, everywhere you go and in everything you do, there is this inner witness, the ruling and reigning of the Holy Spirit in your heart that tells you this is right or this is wrong. Do this or don't do this. Go there or don't go there. Right? We've all had those moments. How about this one? Don't say that. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if the Lord says this, but I interpret it sometimes in my mind. My mind, shut up, Keith. I hear the Holy Spirit say that every now and then. Shut up, Keith. Don't say that. Shut your mouth. You know why? Because we have an inner witness. The kingdom of God is internal. The kingdom of God, we said, is also spiritual. We said that through Christ, Jesus said in John chapter 3, he said, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And unless you're born again, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. So what happens when you get born again? We get to enter into a kingdom. We get to enter into the spirit realm where God rules and God reigns. We step into a heavenly place where the Bible says that now we can come boldly before the throne of His grace to obtain mercy and grace to help us in time of need. We now have access into a spiritual realm where we can go before the very throne of God. That's a powerful thought. To think that the creator and sustainer of all the universe 
through his son Jesus has now given us access into the very throne room of God. It's a spiritual kingdom, and we get to enter in. And then we, we recognize it's a physical kingdom. It's a physical kingdom where the, the supernatural, when the kingdom of God comes, all of a sudden when it comes, the supernatural overrides the natural, right? All of a sudden, spiritual power produces physical provision. And he multiplies the fish and the loaves, and they feed 5,000. And he heals the sick, and he raises the dead, right? And he cures the leprosy. And he casts out the demons. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not just internal and spiritual. It is physical. It manifests itself in our life in a very real way. Jesus said it like this, Matthew chapter 6. He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. When you back up and read the previous verses, you know what the things that God's going to give you? Food, clothing, shelter, provision, the physical necessities of life. Think about this. The physical necessities of life are accessible through the kingdom of God. And here's what God said. If you'll seek first my kingdom, I'll add them to you. I'll give them to you. See, most people spend their life working for things when we ought to spend our lives working for God. And you can work for God whether you're a plumber, whether you're a carpet layer, that's what I used to be, or whether you're a salesman or whether you own your own business. You can get up every day and you don't have to work for things. You can work for God because you're a part of the kingdom. Amen? And if you'll seek first the kingdom, all those things that you need will be given to you. It's really a liberating life. I mean, you think about the whole world, everybody you know that doesn't know Christ, and unfortunately many people that you do know that do know Christ, live their lives working for things. They're living their life just to make another dollar, just to make the ends meet, just to pay the bills. And in reality, that is a distorted view. That's the kingdom of the world, not the kingdom of God. What if I saw my job as an opportunity to serve God, as a place of worship, as a place of work that glorifies Him, that everything I did, I did as unto the Lord and not unto men. All of a sudden, I could get up every day, and it would almost be like you were a pastor. You're just going to do ministry today. Right? Because your job is your ministry. And if you'll begin to view it like that, all of a sudden there's this little shift that happens, and I'm no longer working for things. I'm now working for God, and that's fun. Right? A couple of weeks ago we did the backpack shoe distribution. How many of you got to be a part of that? Raise your hand if you were a part of that. How many of you know that was a whole lot of work, but it was a whole lot of fun? Wasn't it fun? Wasn't it fun loving on people and serving people and blessing people and seeing those kids and praying with people and encouraging? It's so much fun when you get to serve God by serving people. What if you saw your job as that same environment instead of as a place of drudgery that you have to go to? What if it was a place of ministry that you got to go to? All because you begin to recognize I'm operating the kingdom. I'm no longer operating in the kingdoms of this world. I'm living in a kingdom that invades the natural. And then last, last Sunday we saw that the kingdom of God is eternal. It's a never-ending kingdom. We're a part of an unshakable kingdom. And of the increase of his government and his peace, Isaiah said, there would be no end. Right? It is an eternal kingdom that's going to continue to grow until it consumes everything. And we said the job of the church is not to go along and get along. 
We said we're here not to go along and get along with the world. We're here to take back and take over for the glory of God. We're going to take back every soul that's been stolen, and we're going to take over this world for the glory of God. Why? Because his kingdom has come, and his will is being done on earth as in heaven through the church. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the ambassadors of Christ. We are representatives of his kingdom. Amen? And what a joy and honor it is to be a part of it. What a, what a privilege it is that God would choose us to be ambassadors for the king. That's amazing. I'm just going to be honest with you. I wouldn't choose me. <laughs> if I was God, I wouldn't choose me to be an ambassador for his kingdom. But I'm glad I'm not God because he did choose me, and he chose you to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God. And what a blessing, what an honor, what a privilege that is. And what an opportunity we have literally every day to build that kingdom as we honor him. Amen. So today I, I want to look at kind of a final wrap-up thought of this series. So we said that a kingdom culture, a kingdom culture has a language, it has values, it has beliefs, it has standards that align with God and his kingdom. As a matter of fact, if you Google what makes a culture, Google will tell you that a culture is defined by four things. Every culture has a language. Every culture has beliefs. Every culture has values. And every culture has a standard by which it is defined. Now, we live in a crazy world today. Right now, one of the most, most aggressive cultures that is pushing into our world today is the LGBTQ plus culture, right? And you know what? If you look at that culture, they have a language. They have values, they have beliefs, and they have a standard. They're all totally wrong and totally immoral, but they have it. And they're pushing their culture. They're advancing their culture, and they're using words and values and beliefs and standards in order to duplicate and replicate what, what is in their heart. It is their agenda that we know is not biblical, not God, and not holy. But when you think about any culture in the world Every culture has a language, has a value, has a belief, has a standard. And the kingdom of God is no different. So today what we want to do is we want to look at those four expressions of the kingdom. We want to look at that four elements of that kingdom culture and recognize. Because here's what's going to happen. Once I recognize the elements of the kingdom culture, I can begin to align myself more clearly with what God wants to do in and through my life. Because we learned early on that the kingdom I align with is the kingdom I operate in. And I want to be in alignment with the kingdom of God. So let's talk about the language of the kingdom. So the language of the kingdom is a language of faith. The language of the kingdom is a language of faith. And here's a definition of faith. I want to give you a simple definition. Faith agrees with God. How do you know you're in faith? Because faith agrees with God. And faith says what God says. Faith says about you what God says about you. Faith says about others what God says about others. Faith says about your life, your problems, your challenges, your circumstances, what God says about your life. Faith agrees with God. Now, now there's a very interesting scripture. Let's look at it together. It, it, it's in the book of uh, Romans. Romans chapter 2. Look at this scripture. Excuse me. Romans 14, verse 23. We're going to look at Romans 2 in a few minutes. The Bible says this, listen to this statement right here. For whatever is not from faith is, whatever is not from faith is, 
Now let me just give you, remind you the definition of sin. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is coming short of the glory of God. So I want you to imagine that the kingdom is the bullseye. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He wants you to live in the kingdom. He wants you to operate in the kingdom. Jesus died so you could see the kingdom and enter the kingdom and then operate in the kingdom of God. And so the standard or the bullseye is the kingdom of God that we would live in and operate through the kingdom of God. And so anything that's not of faith is sin. Anything that's not of faith misses the mark of the kingdom. And all of a sudden, let me tell you what happens in the kingdom. When you operate in the kingdom of God, there are three things that are readily accessible to you without limit. The presence of God, the power of God, and the provision of God. God's presence, God's power, and God's provision is accessible in the kingdom. And let me give you some good news today. God's not broke, busted, or disgusted, right? There's not a shortage in heaven of any of those things. His presence You know what the Bible says about His presence? In His presence is the fullness of joy, and at His right hand is pleasure forevermore. There is joy and pleasure in the presence of God. See, in the kingdom, there's joy and pleasure. There's there's the presence of God. There's the power of God that changes things, the power of God that overrides the darkness, the power of God that transforms our families, the power of God that breaks the stronghold of addiction, the power of God that heals the sick and raises the dead, the power of God that takes a dysfunctional family and turns it into a functional unit where love and peace and joy abound. And there's the provision of God where every need is met where my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus our God our Lord so in the kingdom there's presence power and provision and so the language of the kingdom is a language of faith faith agrees with God faith says what God says about your life look with me in Hebrews chapter 11 Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 and 3 It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Genesis chapter 1 says, in the beginning darkness covered the face of the deep, and God looked at the darkness, and God said, let there be faith is the language of the kingdom. Everything you see, the Bible says, was created by the Word of God. God spoke the world into existence. Now listen to this. This is huge. So faith says what God says. Faith sees what God sees. Faith does what God does. And God looked at darkness and God said, let there be light. Fear, on the other hand, fear says what it sees. Fear looks at darkness and fear says, boy, it's dark out there. Well, I don't know if anything's ever going to change. Man, I tell you what, I'm worried about this economy. I'm not sure anybody's ever going to be able to get ahead. Man, I tell you what, family values, they've just gone down. I mean, they've just gone to, gone to pot. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I, I don't have any hope for our families anymore. Man, there's so much confusion. Look at that young generation. Man, they don't even know if they're a boy or a girl anymore. I, I, I have no hope for them. They're just so confused, and they're just so lost, and they're just so, they're so far gone. That's fear. Fear says what you see. And if you say what you see, you get more of what you see. 
Faith says what God says. Faith calls those things that are not as though they were. Look at our next scripture. Romans chapter 4 says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, which was God, who gives life to dead things and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. God calls those things that do not exist as though they did. God looks at darkness and says, let there be light. God looks at a leopard and says, be healed. God looks at a dead man and says, Lazarus, come forth. That's faith. That's the language of the kingdom. Faith calls those things that are not as though they were. Fear says what it sees, and fear says what it feels. When you feel discouraged, fear says, tell everybody how discouraged you are. When you feel overwhelmed, fear says, tell everybody how overwhelmed you are. My life is just so hard. And no matter how I try, nothing ever changes. And it just seems like nothing good ever happens to me. Fear says what it sees. Fear says what it feels. But faith agrees with God. Faith says you're the head, not the tail. You're the top, not the bottom. You're the first and not the last. Faith says that God loves you, he's redeemed you, he's adopted you, he's chosen you, right? Faith says that he's elevated you and he's lifted you up. You're not a victim, you're a victor, you're more than a conqueror because he loves you. Faith says that his grace is sufficient, that in your darkest, deepest hour, there is grace that is greater than your pain, grace that is greater than your sorrow, grace that is greater than your confusion. There is grace that is greater. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Faith says what God says. Now, let me just interject this because sometimes when you start talking about living by faith and speaking words by faith, people get weird. How many of you know Christians get weird sometimes? And so we get weird and sometimes we're like, oh, well, so I'm going to live by faith. So that means I can't ever even acknowledge that anything bad's ever happened in my life. Let me tell you what faith does not do. Faith does not deny reality. Faith declares a greater reality. Faith does not deny reality. Hey, if you've been diagnosed with cancer, it's okay to say, hey, I've been diagnosed with cancer, but God's my healer. If you're hurting and you're broken and you're wounded, it's okay. Right now I'm struggling, but God is rescuing me and God is restoring me, and I'm going to come up and I'm going to come out of the darkness. Why? Because faith declares a greater reality. I don't have to deny reality. I just have to declare there's a greater reality. It's called the kingdom of God. It's greater than your world. It's greater than your pain. It's greater than your disappointment. It's greater than your sorrow. But if you continue to speak death, death and lies in the spout of the tongue, if you continue to speak death, if you continue to allow fear instead of faith to rule and govern your tongue, you will get more of the very thing that you say. Mark 11, 23 and 24, Jesus teaches us that. Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have, what does it say? Whatever. If you believe in your heart and speak with your mouth, you can have whatever you say. Now here's the problem. Holy Spirit said this to me just this morning in prayer. He said, Keith, the problem is, Way too many people, including Christians, have more faith in the power in the devil's power to destroy them 
then they have faith in God's power to redeem them. And they say, nothing good ever happens to me. And you know what? They believe it. And death and life is in the power of the tongue. And the more they say what they believe, the more they see what they say, and the more they establish an ungodly belief in their heart that disconnects and robs them of the very blessing of God. Somewhere you've got to come to a place of faith if you're going to operate in the kingdom. If you're going to come out of the kingdom of darkness, you know what's in the kingdom of darkness? Depression, anxiety, stress, despair, hopelessness, fearfulness, loneliness, anguish of soul. If you're going to come out of the kingdom of darkness and enter into the kingdom of God, one of the first transitional points in your life is you're going to have to adopt the language of the kingdom. You're going to have to come to a place of faith that says, I believe God. I believe what God says over what I see and over what I feel. And I'm going to begin to speak to the mountain and command it to be gone. And Jesus said, and whatever you say, you will have. The power of language is the language of the kingdom is the language of faith. Amen. Let's talk about that next point. Let's talk about the values of the kingdom of God. The values of the kingdom are life. In the kingdom of God, this is so powerful. In the kingdom of God, every life matters to God. Every life matters to God. In God's kingdom, every life matters. And Jesus came to give everybody life. John 10, 9 through 11, Jesus said, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He'll go in and out, and he'll find pasture. The thief has come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have what? And they may have it what? More? Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And then he goes on, verse 11, and I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd does what? Gives his life for the sheep. In the kingdom of God, the kingdom values, the values of the kingdom are life. God values life. Every life matters. Every soul matters. Every person matters to God. I told our Arab campus last week, every time a person dies and goes to hell, we lost a battle. And we should be insulted and infuriated by the fact that people are dying and going to hell around us. That people in our family, people in our jobs, people in our community, we should be infuriated by the fact that people are dying and going to hell and we have the hope of the gospel in our hearts and our lives. And we can't make them do anything, but we can fish for men. Come on, somebody. We can bring in the harvest. We can love people, share the gospel with people, reach out to people, bless people, serve people, and minister the truth of Jesus to every person that we meet. Why? Because we're not working for things. We're working for God. And in the kingdom, the kingdom values life. And every life matters. Look, look with me at this scripture in Ezekiel. What a, what a crazy declaration God makes through Ezekiel the prophet. He says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why should you die, O house of Israel? 
God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God doesn't condone, condone wickedness. God doesn't condone sinfulness. And God is a God of justice and righteousness. But guess what? God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why? Because the kingdom values life. Jesus died for everybody. And in the kingdom, there's a value of life. And let me tell you how this impacts our life. Let me tell you the practicality of this. When we begin to operate under the kingdom value that every life matters, you know what will happen? I'll start loving my neighbor like myself. I'll start treating other people the way I want to be treated. Why? Because every soul matters to God. And all of a sudden, there's no longer any racism. There's no longer any prejudice. There's no longer any discrimination in the kingdom of God. You know why? Because every soul, every life matters to God. In the kingdom, we're not red and yellow, black and white. We're just sons and daughters of the Most High God. And when I begin to value life... I begin to love people like myself. I begin to treat people the way I want to be treated. And there's no big eyes and there's no little U's. It's just us. We're just children of God. In America, we value choice over life. Roe versus Wade has been overturned, but there is still a huge pro-choice movement, right? And do you realize that from 1973, 57 million babies have been murdered in the womb. 57 million babies have been killed in the womb because we value choice over life. That's a culture of a world outside the kingdom. In the kingdom, every life matters. The unborn life of a baby in a womb and the elderly life of a person at the last stage of their life. History says this. This is what history, historians will tell us. Any culture, any culture that embraces the murder and devalues the life of an unborn baby will also devalue the life of the elderly. And if we can't see you outside the wound, then you really don't have life. And if you're in the latter stages of your life and your quality of life is not like it used to be, well, then you don't matter either. And we live in a world where both of those extremities are happening in our world. Why? Because a world outside the kingdom values choice and preference and convenience, but in the kingdom, God values life. And every life matters to God. Let's talk about the beliefs of the kingdom. The beliefs of the kingdom are based upon the goodness of God. How many of you know God is good all the time and all the time? Let's try it again. God is good and all the time? God is good and all the time? And if God is not good all the time, God is not God. If God's not good all the time, then God's not God. 
John 3, 16, we know this scripture, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Romans chapter 2, I told you we were going to read it. We're going to get there. Here we are, Romans chapter 2. Listen to this scripture. Do you despise the riches of his goodness? his forbearance and his long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not the fear of hell. If you come to Christ because you have the fear of hell, you got fire insurance. How many know Christianity is not an escape mentality? We're not trying to escape hell. We're running to Jesus. Christianity is about a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm not just trying to get out of punishment. I'm actually running to a good, good Father who loves me and sent His Son to die for me, and that's the kind of guy I want to be in relationship with. And so the belief system of the kingdom is based on the goodness of God, that God is good all the time. That he's a good father who loves us. A good father who sent his son to die for us. He is a good, good father. And any, hear me today, any belief system that questions the goodness of God all the time, every time, is a belief system, hear me, that turns God into an oppressor or a dictator instead of a savior. And the truth is, let's be honest, Church is a good place to be honest, right? Let's be honest. When hard times and difficult times and challenging times and sorrowful times and overwhelming times come, there's a tendency. It's a strategy and a scheme of the enemy. Because Satan wants to take you out of the kingdom. He wants you to not operate in the kingdom. He wants you to move into flesh. He wants you to move into reason. He wants you to move into logic. He wants you to move into psychology, <laughs> See, we, we want to understand our pain. I'm just going to tell you right now. The curse of sin and the repercussions of sin. I'm not talking about your sin. I'm talking about Adam's sin. All sorrow, all death, all pain, all grief, all anxiety, all depression, all worry, all that stuff is rooted in the curse of sin. And you'll never understand it. It don't make sense. And the key, hear me today, the key to breakthrough is not understanding your pain. The key to breakthrough is believing there's a good father who wants to heal you of your pain. That's the key to breakthrough. It's a belief that God's good. And even when life stinks, and even when I'm so mad and I'm so angry and I'm so confused that I don't know what to do, it's, it's, a, it's an understanding that God is good. And He's a good Father, and He wants to heal me, and He wants to help me, and He wants to carry me. I, I shared this last week at Arab. I said, you know, the Bible talked about the disciples that when Jesus was resurrected that they worshipped Him, but some doubted. 
And doubt's okay. Guess what? Doubt's normal and doubt's natural. We all have doubts. We all have questions. We all have concerns. We all have unanswered questions in our lives. Let me tell you how you handle doubt. There's two options of how do you deal with doubt. Number one, you can allow your doubt to cause you to pull away from God and move to a place of unbelief, which will kill you. It'll kill your joy. It'll kill your peace. It'll kill your relationships. It'll kill you. Or you can allow your doubts to cause you to draw near to God. See, God wants you to bring your doubts to Him. God wants you to bring your questions to Him. God wants you to bring your concerns. He is not intimidated, nor is He angered or frustrated by your doubts or confusions. I'm just going to tell you, there have been many, many times in my life I've went to God and I said, Lord, I don't understand this, and God, I don't like this. I don't understand, and I sure enough don't like it. And I brought God my questions and my doubts and my frustration and my anger. And this is what I found out. As long as I keep bringing them to Him and bringing them to Him and bringing them to Him, there comes a point where God in that, in that kingdom, because as long as I'm drawing near to God, I'm in the kingdom. And in the kingdom is His presence, and in the kingdom is His power, and in the kingdom of his, is His provision. And all of a sudden, every time I come, I may not get the answer I want. I may not get the understanding I want, but His presence ministers to me, and His grace ministers to me, and His comfort ministers to me. And I will eventually walk out of that place, and this is how I walk out many times. I'll walk out saying, God, I still don't understand, and I still don't like it, but I trust you. And here's why I trust you, because you're good. You're good all the time. And if you're not good all the time, you're not God. Jesus said there's only one that's good. He said, that's my Father. And if he's not good all the time, every time, then he's not God. But he is good. And the value or the belief system of the kingdom is that we, are, we have a belief system rooted in the goodness of God. And when I have questions and concerns and doubts and fears, I just keep bringing them to the Lord because I know that God is good. Have you ever had a friend, maybe a spouse or a friend, somebody that you knew loved you, loved you, loved you, loved you, loved you, loved you? I mean, there was not a question in your heart about how much they loved you. And have you ever had that person do something that hurt you? <laughs> but at the end of the day, <clears throat> you knew they loved you. So it kind of didn't make sense, right? Why would this person that I know love me hurt me? Well, the truth is, most of the time, there's a lack of insider understanding on our part. And they did something or said something that was communicated or affected us in a way that they never even intended or imagined possible. Now, God is bigger than all that, but life happens that way to us. And if we can believe that our family and our friends are good and they really don't want to hurt us, why can't we believe God is good? Because that is the value and the belief system of the kingdom. And if you step outside of that, I'm just telling you, if you step outside of that, you become an easy target to the enemy. And for lack of a better phrase, he will beat your brains out. And he won't stop till you're no longer here. We serve a good father, amen? And when we come to that place, we just bring it all to God. I don't understand. I don't like it. But I trust you because you're good.
Let's talk last but not least about the standards of the kingdom. The standard of the kingdom is the word of God. The standards of the kingdom are built upon the word of God. Psalms 119 verse 160 says, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endure forever. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endure forever. Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Psalms 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let me tell you why it's so important that we have the standard of the word of God. God's kingdom is built upon the standard of his word. And what's powerful about the standard of God's Word is the standard of God's Word never changes. God's Word never changes. It is established forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will endure forever. And the reason that's important is is two words I want to give you. Clarity and consistency. See, without an unshakable standard... You'll never have clarity, and you'll never have consistency. If the standard's always changing, if what was right is now wrong, if what was wrong is now right, if what was left is now right, if what was right is now left, if what was up is now down, if what was down is now, if the standard's always changing, you'll never have clarity, and you'll never have consistency. And I want you to hear this today. It is only through clarity and consistency that you can actually advance and move forward because the standard of the world is always changing. Have you ever heard somebody make this statement, well, I took one step forward and then I took... I'm not the greatest mathematician in the room, but if I take one step forward and two steps back, in about a week I'm going to be a long way from where I started. I'm going to daily get further away from what God intended me to be. And I want to make a very bold statement to you. If you're constantly one step forward and two steps back, if you're constantly walking around the same mountain and dealing with the same problem you've been dealing with for five years, you're living by the wrong standard. You're living by the wrong standard. The standard of God's Word and His kingdom is, is a standard of God that advances us. It is a light into my path. It is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. God's Word enables me to move forward. God's Word enables me to go to new levels. And yes, I understand new levels, new devils. I'm good with that. But I want new levels. I don't want to spend the rest of my life fighting the same problem going around the same mountain that I've been going around for the last six months or the last six years or the last 60 years. It doesn't matter to me. I don't want to walk around the same old mountain, and I don't want to keep fighting the same battles. So how is it we take one step forward and two steps back? One step forward, two steps back. It's because we're living by the wrong standard. And we're not advancing and we're not progressing and we're not moving into what God really has for us because we're living by a standard that fluctuates. Let me give you four standards I think that we get caught up in. The number one, I think, is simply this. It's the the standard of the culture. See, there's a cultural standard out there by our world that simply says this. 
whatever the, mo- the majority of the people are doing, that must be right. <laughs> if it's popular, it's right. Our young people feel the sting of that standard. If it's popular, it's right. If it's popular, it's right. If it's popular, it's right. But how many of you know that many times what's popular is 100% absolutely wrong? <laughs> there were 450 prophets of Baal, and there was only one prophet of God, and Elijah was right, and all 450 of them were wrong. But it's really easy, not just as young people. Hey, let's just be honest, all of us adults, if we're not careful, we get swayed by the culture. We get swayed by what everybody else is doing, it must be right. Hey, they're making money doing it, I should do that in my business. Hey, they're prospering over here doing that. Hey, this is how, and all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we get swayed. We begin to live by a cultural standard that is always shifting and always changing. What's crazy about the time you think you catch up, they move it. And then there's a, the standard of tradition. This is, this is an interesting one. There's a standard tradition that says something is right because we've always done it that way. That, that affects churches. We get caught in the cycle of doing what we've always done instead of doing what God's Word tells us to do. Nothing wrong with tradition as long as your tradition is based on the standard of the Word of God. If your tradition is not based on the standard of the Word of God, then you're passing on a generational curse instead of a generational blessing. And just because we've always done it doesn't mean it's right. And just because it worked then doesn't mean it'll work now. You know what we've got to do? We've got to be led by the Spirit and follow the Word of God. God's Word is true. God's Word is right. God's Word is forever settled in the heavens. There's a, there's a third. And this is, this is the standard. I want you to think about this. This is the standard of my feeling. If it feels good, it must be right. There's a billion dollar industry called pornography that is funded by a if it feels good, it must be right mentality. But guess what? You don't have to be addicted to pornography to be ruled and ruined by your emotions and feelings. One of my favorite quotes is simply this. Emotions are wonderful indicators, but they are horrible dictators. Emotions indicate something's going on. And that's wonderful that you have an emotional indicator that lets you know whether you're happy, sad, or glad. But they're horrible dictators when it comes to setting the standard on the decisions and choices that you and I should be making with and for our lives. And so we have the cultural standard. We have the traditional standard. We have the, the emotional standard. And then we have, last one here, the standard of reason. The standard of reason, it, it, it's logical. And if it makes sense and if it's logical, then it must be right. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in this room like me? have worked hard in the past to make logical decisions. I mean, you did your research, you did this, you did that, you read, you talked, you did all your homework, and you made the most logical decision you can make, and the moment you made it, you knew it was wrong. <laughs> I've done that. I don't know if you've ever done that. I mean, the moment I made the decision, I'm like, oh, that was the wrong decision. You know why? Because our logic is limited. But God's revelation is unlimited. 
And so here's what we've got to settle in our hearts. We've got to settle in our hearts that I'm going to live by a standard called the Word of God. And if God says it's right, it's right. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. And I'm going to honor that. And I'm going to live by that. And you know what will happen? His Word will be a, a lamp under your feet and a light into your path. And you'll actually begin to make progress. Again, if you're walking around the same mountain or fighting the same battle, you're living by the wrong standard. God's Word, the standard of the kingdom, makes progress in our life, and it empowers us to move forward. God does not intend you to be where you are today, tomorrow, or next week, or next year. There is progress to be made in every area of our life. And how many know God's Word speaks to every area of our life? And it's a solid standard that we can live by. Clarity and consistency. And all of a sudden, it's a game changer.